0: Hey, it's Chris Plant, and I am still reporting from the the road. Uh, A little exhausted, as you can tell by my stumbling in my move to Austin, Texas. But I want to tell you about our sponsor this week, the kind folks at Igloo. Now, anyone that's worked in a corporate environment knows how painful intranets can be. The content is stale, the interface is ugly, and you can't access it on your phone. Igloo is an intranet you'll actually like because it's designed for the user. It gives you the flexibility to get your work done how you want, where you want, and on whatever device you want. Igloo is truly building a product mint for 2015, not 1997. What a terrible year that was. I was, let's see, 12 years old. Uh, We won't go down that road. And Igloo makes use of responsive web design, so it looks fantastic on all your devices. You can sign up at igloosoftware.com tech for a free trial and you'll get started today. That's igloosoftware.com tech.
1: Let's see, it was 1995 and I remember picking up my first issue of Amazing Spider-Man and this was in the midst of what fans regard and revile as the Clone Saga. The Clone Saga involved Spider-Man that you and I know, Peter Parker, being a clone, and his clone becoming the new Spider-Man. And this went on for way too long and involved clones coming out of the woodwork, people going to Portland, and new costumes and new enemies and the Green Goblin coming back from the 70s and, you know, the clone dying and, like, everyone hated it. And I came on like, this is cool. Like, there's Spider-Man everywhere. And that's pretty much where I came in. So I had a very low bar in terms of quality of comic books. So I had a long way to go from 95 up until 20 years
0: later. That's how all things should start. (laughs) Can I tell you my my Spider-Man thing? Please do. So my parents wouldn't let me look at comics Mm -hmm. uh, as a kid uh, because my mom said they they were pornography. Which, going back and looking at 1990s depictions of women, (laughs) of comics. Not far off. Not far off. But they did let me read Spider-Man. And I was in love. I've never, I I, I don't have it in me anymore. Probably because of the films. Mm -hmm. But I was dedicated. I was like five years old. And I I pretended to read the comics. I had all the clothes. And they got me a Spider-Man Halloween costume. But it was Mm -hmm. like. On sale, I guess, probably in July, and our our house was there was the downstairs living room, and then if you looked up, there the stairwell, double stairwell went into the upstairs area, and there was a banister. and I climbed through the banister with my outfit on. Oh, no. and I was like, "I am Spider-Man. <laughs> I can do this." And I jumped. <laughs> And luckily, oh, no. my father caught me. Right. <laughs> which only made me feel more like Spider Man. Which yeah, you was, could summon your father <laughs> to save That's a mistake. Life. <laughs> like, you gotta let that kid learn. Be, be a real parent. Yeah, yeah. Hello, and welcome to What's Tech, a podcast from The Verge. My name is Christopher Thomas Plant, and I'm going to be your Spidey host today. I'm joined by my friend, my colleague, The Verge news editor Kwame Opam, and we are going to talk about Marvel Comics. Now, I understand how this is you being you and not somebody who's stuck working right alongside me all day. But <laughs> Kwame and I actually work pretty close to each other, about ten feet. And anytime Marvel news happens, which is every hour, like um, every day, one of us yells at the other one about our extreme opinions on this topic. Uh, He does so because he's an expert. I do so because I'm an opinionated jerk uh, who actually doesn't know a lot about what I'm talking about. And and that's why I brought him on to tell me more about this idea uh, that we're calling the Marvel Universe. And I want to start there, and we're going to work our way to what it is and why I think it is weirdly an important part of technology uh, today. Uh, But let's start from that. What is the idea of the Marvel Universe as it is today?
1: Well you're kind of talking about a two-tier thing where the Marvel universe, proper in terms of storytelling and fiction, involves all their properties and all their characters interacting with one of with one another and their stories intersecting in hopefully meaningful but oftentimes not really meaningful ways. And that's more than half a century of fandom, like verging on a century of fandom there. But the Marvel universe as it pertains to technology and media is anything concerning those stories as they touch television, movies, apps, gaming, what have you. And it's becoming ubiquitous, and it's going to continue to be so for the foreseeable future. So it's something we have to care about, even if you don't.
0: Well, well, let's set the foundation then, because I think for people who don't know what kind of this, (laughs) to use their own terminology, (laughs) phase one, uh, but the the early days of Marvel Comics were... Mm and, and I think we'll see similarities when we get on to this larger thing uh, in this kind of renaissance. But what, what is the foundation of Marvel? How, how did it come to be? Uh, and how did we get to, I, I guess, the era right before it started becoming a media powerhouse?
1: Sure. I mean, you look back in history where you had timely comics and you had World War II and you had Marvel comics and you had characters like Captain America and the Submariner and the Human Torch who were big figures in terms of, like, American comics and how people related to the conflict around them and how they related to their cities and what have you. And then you had the Silver Age of comics and, the I guess, the first great renaissance in comic books where you had characters like Stan Lee and Steve Ditko creating the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and eventually the X-Men and Daredevil and all these characters. And alongside DC Comics, which is a whole other thing, which I guess we're not really going to get to today. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, DC. Yeah, well, um, but alongside DC, you had really a a sea change in terms of how we think about the notion of superheroes and how they eventually became effectively the American mythology. And that became a big thing from 1960s all the way up to the present day, where you have Hollywood really kind of monopolizing the storytelling as far as superheroes are concerned and really kind of pushing this on every facet of American life right now.
0: So let's imagine a person. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is a 12-year-old. Maybe, like, I've just been asleep for the last 10 years. And I wake up, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, these phones are so small. And also, (laughs) Marvel movies, I need to get caught up. How how does one even go about it? Because I, I'm sure there are plenty of people that were put off by comic books. They now feel that they cannot resist. They they have to be a part of this cultural conversation. Mm. How do they even get into it?
1: Just dive in. There's <laughs> <laughs> There's no there's no other way because it's gotten to the point where not only has the universe unto itself become impenetrable, except to just blaze right through it and try to understand everything that's going on you can't just jump in midway and try to attempt it but every other studio in some way is trying to replicate the success that marvel studios has had so you're going to have the transformers film universe you're going to have the dc film universe you're going to have the universal monsters film universe and anything coming out of hollywood for the next couple of years is going to be this highly metatextual intertextual like narrative that you can't really jump into and expect like, oh, this is a standalone movie. This doesn't have anything to do with anything else. Am I reading the novel that comes with it? Maybe I should. Am I reading the comic book that comes with it? Maybe I should. Am I playing the video game or doing the AR thing or VR thing? Maybe I should be doing all these things. Who knows? And the thing is, there's so much money invested in all of this that Hollywood, all they have to do is figure out how to do it well, and then everyone's going to do it. And we are doomed when I, that happens.
0: Can I tell you what I, I like to call uh, film 10 years from now? Sure. Slow TV. Because it's just <laughs> what it long serial television, except for you only get one movie a year, <laughs> and it costs you $30 to go see it in a theater, and it's not as good as anything you're watching on TV. <laughs> but boy, are the special effects great. Oh,
1: God.
0: What, what's so strange about this to me and and it's weird to think there's a generation that doesn't see comic books as uh, tainted. Almost mm-hmm. is when I grew up, uh, as I said earlier, when when I went to the comic book shop, it was seen as almost repulsive to my parents. Like mm-hmm. I, I remember, they would take me in, and it was kind of a, a shameful place, uh, and not even a fault of their own. I mean, when you even looked at the covers, mm-hmm. I could I could feel why they felt that way. Sure. I mean, as a pre-pubescent boy, I was uncomfortable in my own way. Uh, how how did we get from this weird phase of comics uh, to being, you know, essentially a mass culture, mass pop culture thing?
1: Um, for a bunch of reasons. I mean, in terms of the quality of storytelling and it becoming mainstream, things have gotten better since the 60s, 70s, and 80s, such that things have become more accessible, that people are more concerned about characters representing the broad swath of what america has become and it's not just you know you punching hitler or you're punching saddam hussein <laughs> or something This uh you're talking about like everyday issues like particularly with spider-man which we just talked about spider-man is always created to be relatable to everybody the underdog the little guy the teenager with the girl problem what have you and increasingly you have characters coming out where it's not just the one white guy who has all the problems it's characters in the x-men where you're talking about issues of diversity and discrimination and now you have characters like miss marvel kamala khan who is just a regular person but happens to be a muslim american teenager from jersey city and it's becoming really powerful especially considering the art has gotten better you can argue the storytelling is certainly getting better you can argue and all these things are happening all at once in the midst of hollywood taking over
0: now you mentioned uh spider-man as kind of this quintessential comic uh, especially for opening up the medium uh, to mm-hmm. more people. And, and it seems like it's played a similar role in, in the second tier that we've been talking about, sure. this idea of mar- specifically Marvel as a mass media uh, entity. And, and for me, that first Spider-Man uh, and really the trilogy mm-hmm. is kind of what started all of this. And I, I'm curious if you agree with that or, or, or what, what role you think it, it played.
1: Um, I would actually argue that as far as our present era is concerned, you could probably point to X-Men a lot easier than Uh. Spider-Man. Since it was 2000, it was not the first, but probably the best in terms of like signaling to Hollywood, oh, this is a thing that we can do and do really effectively. You, of course, had Superman. You had the Batman series through the 80s and 90s. But with X-Men, you had, like, this could literally be a corner of this entire industry that we could drive and pull up more characters as opposed to, like, just Superman and just Batman. And with that, you had, you had X-Men, you had Spider-Man, you had Daredevil, you had Ghost Rider, and all these movies were of varying quality, wildly varying quality. But over time, you're just kind of pulling things out of the barrel and seeing how they do up until you hit... Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 1 was the movie like arguably more arguably more than the Dark Knight trilogy in that you could build out this entire universe in film that were actually films and actually good but drawing from this massive mythology that is the Marvel Universe.
0: Yeah, it feels to me like Iron Man 1 set the template. Right. I mean, because, yes, as, I guess, works of art, even though I'm not in love with all of them, (laughs) the the Batman trilogy uh, is a great standalone thing. Sure. Uh, But it's so specific to Batman. Right. While Iron Man's tone, it it really is just the, well, this is a universe in which superheroes can be. And it's light Mm. and it's dark and it can kind of fluctuate depending on what you need it to be. But really it's... It's almost like a style of drawing in a weird way. Like it has a look to it. It's become that way, actually. Yeah, and and I I, I, do. Do you have any idea how? Like how how does a company create a formula essentially for successful movies like this?
1: You could pretty easily argue that they kind of had to because you Marvel Studios and Marvel proper they don't own the film rights to some of the bigger properties like x-men was one of the biggest comic properties of the 90s and as a result of like marvel effectively going bankrupt in the 90s because that's a whole other thing um they sold off the film rights to characters like like the x-men and spider-man especially and so many others fantastic four so iron man came along because marvel had to think well if we're going to do movies of our own and we've had not that much luck in terms of like other movies like fantastic four or ghost Rider at the time it's if we can build this template and do well with it and create a universe where like okay okay we could potentially connect other characters then we could build to something that maybe they'll meet one day oh and maybe there'll be a big team epic and potentially change the game and you, it was a gamble at the time because you had other movies that kind of attempted the similar things like you pre, you had that to a certain extent with Daredevil because you had the spin-off with Elektra, but even that both movies were not especially good. Elektra was terrible. And, you know, we go on from there, but with Iron Man, you had the success of the Renaissance of Robert Downey Jr. And the potential success of bringing back characters of the Hulk and mishing them together with Thor and Captain America and making something great. And they succeeded with that and have been doing that ever since. And, building things out and succeeding so far.
0: So on the technology front, this kind of even bigger thing than sure. just, you know, doing lots of movies. Uh what's really impressed me specifically about what Marvel has done is that sure, they've <laughs> taken control essentially of summer blockbusters. But then you have shows on television that tie into this. We just have a new set of shows that are going to appear on Netflix. Uh, they are getting more and more involved in video games. And mm-hmm. now that they have this, they've been acquired essentially by Disney, you're seeing those characters also in Disney's own video games, like Disney Infinity. Uh, I mean, how? Why? It, 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 it just seems like, it, it, I hate to say it came out of nowhere, because it didn't, obviously. Mm-hmm. This has been years in the making. But but what is this idea? Where does this come from? Is there a model that, that had been doing something like this in the past?
1: So the way that comic book characters have been distilled down to us is that basically, even though they're distinct characters and distinct archetypes, you can put them in literally literally any situation that speaks to the zeitgeist. So anything concerning the internet, anything concerning the war on terror, you can have some superhero speak to it in some way that's hopefully meaningful. So in doing that, you can put them in any medium you want and make it meaningful. So the idea that you have a whole slew of series on Netflix that also seem to exist in the Marvel Cinematic Universe means that you can touch any medium at any given time and build on that one overarching story, which is truly ambitious and unheard of in any medium, because it becomes this entire transmedia event series that people are forced to pay attention to, and you either drown in it or you keep up, and there's no other way to go about it.
0: Well, and that's the thing that I'm curious about with, I mean, you mentioned drowning, because I... I feel like I am now behind, and I feel a a guilt almost about it because it is such a huge cultural thing that, like, well, I haven't seen some of the movies. I don't even know if I'm going to have time to watch Daredevil. How will I ever appreciate uh, the Avengers Age of Ultron or even further down when, when I guess, the third film, which is Split into Two, comes out? And and that, that is, like, I feel a legitimate fear, as nerdy as it is, But it also seems like kind of what happened to comic books in the first place in Mm -hmm. the 80s and maybe even in the 90s a little bit where the mythos became so complex and was so demanding and they were milking so much money Mm -hmm. out of people to try to keep up that eventually people left just because they they didn't want that guilt. They didn't want to feel like they were missing out. They felt like they couldn't keep up. Is that a thing that this company has to worry about essentially repeating its mistakes all over again? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yes.
1: Um, You should be afraid. You should be absolutely afraid because the benefit of having any superhero potentially tell any story, like the moldability of these characters is astonishing. You can do anything you want, tell any story, and really you have to have the particulars that make the story work. And that's the heavy lifting that they do. And Marvel seems to be able to do it. But as soon as you're telling those stories over really a decade, then it becomes impenetrable. So what Marvel is doing now with their comics is that they're effectively rebooting them. They, And comics are notorious for reboots like every couple of decades at this point. But at some point, you're going to have all your characters in this universe. No one's going to be able to keep up except for like certain corners of the fandom. And they're going to have to think to themselves, well, even though we're making literally billions of dollars, we still need to make more money. We still need to get these people back to the theater and care about it and not feel tired of it. So we're going to have to reboot. And that's the grand fear for maybe like 2020 when we're saturated. We've gone through the entire cycle of Avengers films and what's next? What do we do? Do we reboot Iron Man? Who knows?
0: It's it's funny because it feels almost inevitable just because of the way Hollywood works. Right. That just paying these actors after all these years who uh, you know are going to have increased salaries with each film that you have to reboot just because you can't afford to have the band get back together. Right. Uh, so maybe maybe all of Hollywood's awfulness will be the thing <laughs> that saves Marvel from itself in the end. Um, before we wrap up, I, I wanted to touch on Disney. Sure. Um, because that is kind of, I guess, the elephant in this room full of elephants. Oh, man. Um, you have this this mythos that has been created uh, and that is so powerful right now in terms of the fiction that we consume from any matter of modes. Uh, what, what can Disney do to, I guess, empower that more? It, or what are they going to do to make this even bigger than it already is?
1: Definitely have Marvel characters pop into Star Wars at some point. <laughs> like, there's no
0: other way. <laughs> there's no other it's, way to do it. We can't escape it. I, I mean, <laughs> do you think we'll see the, a theme park, a thing like that? Is that, is that realistic?
1: I mean, you already see characters like the Hulk and Spider-Man at Universal Studios and whatnot. But, I mean, Disney has the rights to these characters and Disney can do whatever they want. So if you, ha- if you want to have some AR like experience involving people jumping off buildings like you did as a kid and, you know, not hurt themselves. But do that sort of thing or pretend they're their Iron Man and just fly around and feel like they're actually in the real world, then that's going to happen. Disney has the resources, Disney has the ubiquity, Disney has the sheer drive to make more money such that we're, we don't really have a choice to, but to see these things, which is kind of scary and almost apocalyptic, <laughs> like kind of dystopian in its way. Just think but, about I mean, that
0: while you're watching X-Men Apocalypse coming to theaters <laughs> this summer next summer. (laughs) Oh, God. We have time. Uh, uh, Thank you so much for joining me. (laughs) And thank you to our producer, John Lagomarcino. Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of What's Tech? Uh, You can find us on the Twitter, at What's Tech. You can find us on iTunes. Just search What's Tech. Maybe leave a review. Maybe share us with a friend. That's always a nice thing you can do. Or you can go to TheVerge.com and read more of our work. I promise you, there is a lot of cool stuff there. It is not wholly owned by Disney or Marvel (laughs) Comics. We do write about DC. Please don't call us Marvel Verge. Until next time, (laughs) we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. So that was our show. I want to give one more thank you, and that's to our sponsor, Igloo, an internet you'll actually like because it's designed for the user. It gives you the flexibility to get the work you want done how you want, where you want, on whatever device you want. And you can give it a free trial right now. Go to igloosoftware.com tech and get started today. That's igloosoftware.com slash tech. Now, uh, I'm actually in Austin. So I'm going to turn the computer off and I'm going to go eat some tacos. But know that I'll be eating them with you in my heart, fellow listener. Uh, It is all for you. We'll see you later. Bye.